Well, good morning. It's good to be with you today. If you would, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his, to his father, Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thickets by, its th- by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Father, we are grateful that you are a God who sees a God who cares for us in our affliction, a God who walks with us through the obedience you call us to. Lord, as we look at your word here for a small portion of this morning, that you would delight us with yourself, open our eyes, increase our faith, that you be made much of. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Missionary Jim Elliot has the famous quote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's a wonderful quote, but what about when the cost seems too high? Where do I look? Where's my hope when it seems God is asking too much of me for me to obey? We come here in Genesis 22 to the story, this this sort of final story of Abraham's life here. It's the last real narrative focused on his relationship with God and his interaction with God. 
God has previously called Abraham from his homeland and told him to go to a place that he did not know. And Abraham acted in obedience. You can look back at Genesis 12, 1 through 4. It says, now the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. So you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. Now Abraham was 75 years old when he departed for Haran. From Haran. This narrative is based out of that original sending, the original promise. It actually brings Abraham's life full circle. The promise that is given is now the promise that is discussed at the end of Genesis twenty-two seventeen through 18. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is in the seashore, and, I, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. It brings everything back around. The story culminates. This is the final part of it. Abraham's past is one of ups and downs. God has promised him this seed. He's promised him there's going to be one that's going to come from him. And Abraham's faith has at times been very strong and at times wavered very greatly. And this brings it to this final point. The story actually connects in then with Genesis 16 and Genesis 21. There's these two different narratives involving Hagar and Ishmael. I want you to see this really quickly because it builds into Genesis 22. If you look back, Genesis 16, verses 7 through 13, is Hagar running away. She has slept with Abraham, and, and now Sarah is very angry with her. She is mistreating her. And we get to verse 7. Hagar's run away. She's out from this group that she would have been with in the the wilderness. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. By the spring of the water to Shur, he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants. So that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live to the east of all his brothers. Then she called the name, called on the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees. For she said, Have I been remaining alive here after seeing him? And then chapter 21, verses 9 through 19, we get this story where Sarah has again had problems with Hagar and told Abraham, I want her gone. And now Abraham is going to cast them out again. Verse 9, now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking. Therefore she said to Abraham, drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. But, Abraham, but God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her, for through Isaac your descendants shall be named. And of the son of the maid I will make a nation also because he is your descendant. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread, a skin of water, and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder, and gave her the boy, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. 
When the water in the skin was used up, she left the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him, about a bow shot away. For she said, Do not let me see the boy die. And she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. God heard the lad crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with her water and gave the lad a drink. There are many connections here in these stories as you look at them. Uh, Abraham gets up early in verse 21, verse 8 and 14, and in 22, verse 3, to go about this, this really hard thing God has called him to of casting out Ishmael or killing Isaac. The angel of the Lord appears in both. In 16.7, he appears to Hagar and talks with her. In 22.11, he appears to Abraham and talks to him. Neither of them see a way out till God reviews, reveals it. In 21.16, Hagar does not see this well until God reveals it for her. In 22.10, Abraham does not see the ram until God opens his eyes. And both call God the God who sees, Elohim who sees. In 16.13 and in 22.8, these are actually the only two places, locations in the Bible where that term for God is used. The God who sees. Some Bibles may say Jehovah Jireh, that may be what you're used to. Why this contrast? Why did God have these two stories, Ishmael and Isaac, and and these connections here? What is God trying to say through this? I would suggest a few things. First, it proves the promise to Abraham. These promises are now being passed on to Isaac. Ishmael's received some of the blessings, but Isaac is the focus. Ishmael's gone at this point. Isaac is the final one to receive the blessings. These blessings that were promised back in chapter 12 find their culmination and are ultimately going to be passed on to Isaac. The focus beyond this of the narrative in Abraham is very much waning at this point. He's going to come back. Sarah's going to die. They're going to find Isaac a wife. And then Abraham's going to die. It's passed on to Isaac. The other part of this is key too, that this accents the story that we're looking at in 22 Ishmael's already gone. Abraham's tried different means of, of providing for this promise that God has given of a seed. Ishmael is gone. This is his only son left. Isaac is all he's got. Isaac is the only one who can fulfill this covenant promise. Isaac is the only hope. And so the story starts. It progresses rather fast. And then it comes to this screeching halt with Abraham holding this knife above his son. Everything slows down. The passage has this play on words, and we're going to look at this a little bit more, involving sight. It actually four times uses the the, the word to see, this verb talking about sight and seeing. Abraham, in verse 4, looks up and he sees the place from a distance. In verse 8, Abraham says, God will see. That word provide, a lot of our translations have that. It's literally the word see. God will see. He will provide. Abraham, again, in verse 13, sees. He looks up, raises his eyes, looks and sees this ram. And then he says of God in verse 14, that God is the God who sees. That word provide. I would suggest that is the main point of this passage. God sees. Many of our Bibles say God provides. It's a good interpretation. It understands the meaning behind the word sees, and we'll talk more about that. But I want to emphasize that word sees here because I think it's going to help us 
build this passage and follow through what, what Moses is intending for us to understand as we read his words here. This brings us then to four truths about obedience. Four things that we need to know and hold to. First, obedience is not easy. Look at verses 1 and 2. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. He's called to kill his son. And this, while we hear this and we are very surprised, this might not have been a big surprise to Abraham. He came from a culture, he's living in a culture in Canaan where this was actually fairly common practice. We see later on, Israel is accused by God multiple times, warned against doing this, of taking on these actions of the culture that they're in. And they are told never to do this. Deuteronomy 18.10, God says, There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, one who interprets omens or a sorcerer. Multiple verses in Jeremiah talk about the sin of burning their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal. God clearly does not accept this, does not give credence to it, but he's using this to test Abraham's heart. As Abraham thinks about this, and he's realizing this is what God has called me to do, he probably is thinking, this makes no sense at all. Isaac was promised. I need a seed to come from Isaac. I need him to have heirs. God, in Genesis 21-12, actually promised that. God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her, for through Isaac your descendants shall be named. Why am I going to kill the kid that God has just said is going to have kids that are going to be my descendants? This doesn't make any sense. How would killing him accomplish your goal, God? How would killing him fulfill the promise? The son has been the major focus of Abraham's entire life. From the very beginning, him needing a seed. And throughout the story of his life, he's endangered the seed, giving his wife up to a few different kings at different times. He, he's tried to make his own way to find the seed. He says, God, take my servants. God says, that's not acceptable. He tries with Hagar. Ishmael comes and God says, no, he's not the one. Isaac is to be the one. This whole life of Abraham has been surrounded by this promise God has given that there is going to be one and only one that God will accept. Here he is. God has provided him. And now he wants Abraham to kill him. It'd be very easy to question what God says. To try to help God. Maybe, I misunderstood you, God. Let me, let me fix this for you. I think you meant this. God, you, you can't mean that. That doesn't make sense. Obedience doesn't oftentimes make sense. If we knew the whole story, it would simply be using the wisest, best choice. Because that is always what God does. That is always what God commands. But we don't. How often do we make excuses to not obey simply because we don't understand? I don't get this, so why should I have to do it? God can't be asking me to put myself in financial jeopardy giving up this job just because it isn't fully ethical. 
God wouldn't want me to endanger my kids by going and living on the mission field. God wouldn't want me to hurt this already tedious relationship with my, my friend or my relative by sharing my faith with that person right now. God wouldn't want me to have to stay in this relationship because it's not healthy for me. It's not good for me. I don't like it. It doesn't make me feel happy. God couldn't really mean that. Obedience is never easy. And a large part of that is because it doesn't typically make sense. And God goes on making it even more difficult. He builds the words that he uses referring to Isaac. He says, take your son, your only son, just in case you didn't get that, Abraham. This is the only one you got. The one who you love. Isaac means laughter. He's named laughter after bringing joy when Sarah was barren. Take this one and kill him. While Abraham was supposed to plunge the knife into Isaac, God is twisting his own knife in Abraham's heart. Your son, your only son, the one whom you love, Isaac, the one who brings you laughter and joy, go kill him. God is saying, Abraham, I gave you this boy. Will you choose to love me more than the gift I've given you? I gave you this child, I promised him. Now will you cling to him? Or will you love me? Ultimately, our response of obedience or disobedience to God is a demonstration of who or what we are really worshiping. Abraham has a chance to worship his son, to pursue what he wants, or to worship God. It begs us to ask the question, do I see God or my desires as more valuable? When God asks me to do something, am I willing to give it up? Are there things in your life God is calling you to give up for him that feel like if you do, You'll be losing everything. Maybe a relationship you know you need to give up. Maybe a desire that you've had for years that God has never seen fit to bring to fruition. Maybe comfort and ease of where you're at. Maybe he's calling you to stay where you're at in a hard situation and you'd rather leave. Maybe he's calling you to be truthful about something that you've done and you've never told anyone about. Obedience is costly. Because worship reflects the value of God, who is of infinite worth. So obedience is hard. It's not easy. But second, obedience is not based on sight. Look at verses 3 through 8. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from the distance. Abraham said to his young, man, young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood, the burnt offering, and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will see for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. 
So the two of them walked on together. Abraham obeys immediately. He doesn't decide this would be a great morning to sleep in. I feel so overwhelmed. Maybe I just won't get up today. He rises early, immediately. How often do we withhold our obedience? How often do we not obey or take our time in obeying? We, we hope for a change. Maybe the authority that's commanded this will forget or will change their mind. Obedience is not truly obedience if it is not done right away. Notice this too. Abraham makes provision for his obedience. He makes provision for his obedience. He grabs firewood. At the end of verse 3, he split the wood for the burnt offering. It would have been really easy to think, well, you know what? Uh, maybe there won't be wood there. You know, we get there and, oh, shoot, there's no wood. Well, I guess we'll have to hold off. Or I guess we'll have to wait on this or hold back. You try to find ways to make sure you can obey. Or do you try to create loopholes? Ways that you can get out of obedience. You keep procrastinating on things and then not have time to obey. That's not an issue with any of our kids, I'm sure. Parents tell you to do something. I'll get to it, I'll get to it. Or do your homework. I just want to play one more game. And then all of a sudden it's bedtime and where's the time gone? And you haven't been able to do that. Haven't, haven't been able to do that. You do a false face thing. Well, God, if you wanted me to do this, then you're going to need to provide. God, if you want me to kill Isaac, then you're going to have to provide the firewood. I'm just going to sort of have faith. When in reality, faith is immediate, whole obedience that makes provision for that obedience. He heard God's command and followed through. And planned ahead to make sure that he could obey what God had commanded. They walk on. There's very little said here. It's this quiet walk. They ascend up this mountain. One question is asked. Isaac, driving this knife deeper, my father, my father, here I am, my son. He says, I, I see the fire. I know we need that. And there's the wood. But where's the sacrifice? And here's Abraham thinking in his head, well, he's carrying the wood. It's hard, hard time for Abraham. Verse 4, we get this first aspect of sight. Abraham sees the hardship. We come to there on the third day. Abraham raised his eyes and saw Abraham sees, and what Abraham sees, and all he can see is the hardship, the problem. He sees the place of death, the place of his life seeming to come to an end, the location that his hardest and greatest suffering in all of his life may take place. That's all Abraham sees. And yet, Abraham trusts a God who sees his response to his son, Abraham said, God will see for himself. 
he obeys God even when he does not know the outcome, even when he cannot see anything but the problem. It seems overwhelming that all that's in front of him, the only thing before his face is the circumstances around him. He is overwhelmed, should be ready to stop and give up, and yet he carries on in spite of not seeing any way out. Hebrews 11 one says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. He goes on later in that chapter in verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. This one who's gotten the promise of a son is now going to kill the son. Verse 18. It was he to whom it was said, and Isaac, your descendant, shall be called. He's been given this promise, and yet he's going to kill the promised one. Verse 19. For he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead from which also he also received him back as a type. Abraham is going up this hill, fully prepared to plunge this knife into his son's heart, trusting in the God who sees that God might make a way through actually raising his son back to life. He's like Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, and he goes further and says, and I hope that God will give back. But the God who I trust will see to this. He recognizes that Isaac was a gift from God and he was ultimately God's. That he would do what God desired with Isaac. Isaac was here for God, not for Abraham. And so he prepares in full obedience. Are there things in your life that a sovereign God has placed there? Things that he's calling you to walk through? And the only thing you can see is the possibility of devastation. Or maybe you're in the midst of it right now. Things are whirling around you. You feel like you're in the middle of a tornado. I don't see a way out. All I see is hopelessness, death, destruction. Maybe it's the death of someone close to you, the loss of a job, having to stay in a hard situation. I can't see a way out. Obedience, however, is not based on sight. Obedience is based on belief. Which brings us to number three. A full understanding, this this sight, does not typically come until after our obedience. Look at verses 9 through 13. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretches out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked. He saw, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns. Typically, we don't see the outcome of our obedience until afterwards. And sometimes that may not even be in this lifetime, this side of eternity. We may not fully understand the effects of our obedience until after we've gone to be with the Lord. The second play on words occurs here. Abraham doesn't see anything. He's going to kill his son. Abraham's small sight, he's focused in right here on this knife, his son. He's going to do this. And God opens his eyes and he starts to see 
what God reveals. He sees that God has made a way. He sees this end, this outcome. There is a way out that Abraham would not see unless God had revealed it to him. God makes a way through the obedience he calls us to. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you may be able to endure it. You get a way of escape, so you can endure, not get out. Abraham here trusts God, the one who sees for this way of escape. And he endures, and God provides a way through. What is the purpose of this? Why does God do this for Abraham or for us? I would suggest it's to strengthen our faith. God does this to strengthen Abraham's faith. Faith is like a muscle. It grows when it's worked out. When it's exercised, it grows. It's enlarged. More and more, God desires our growth into his likeness and places the gym of our life, the exercise workout area of life in front of us in order to grow us, to accomplish this maturing, this growth of our faith, this expanding of Christ's likeness. Are there things that God has called you to that you've started well, but as things got hard, it sort of fizzled out? Things that you did at the start and you really did it. You were gung-ho. I want to please God. I want to live for the Lord. I want to live in obedience to him. I'm excited about this and what God is going to do in this. And then it just sort of dies. Maybe it's reaching out to an unsafe friend or a neighbor or a coworker. You're excited. They, they need Jesus. And the conversation doesn't go well or you start getting nervous. And it just doesn't happen. Pursuing and loving someone who's hard to live with. And caring for them. You start off and you're like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really love them. I don't care what they say. And they say something, you're like, maybe not today. Maybe not so much. Maybe it's trusting the Lord while you have a sickness that seems like it will never go away or be done with. My faith just seems to wane. I am burdened down. God says, press on. It says, he will make a way out at his good time. He is growing you. He's expanding that muscle of your faith. He calls you to persevere. And as you do so, then you start to see the purpose. Maybe not fully. Maybe not ever in this life. But God calls you to persevere, to press on by faith. Which leads us to number four. God sees us, which is enabling our obedience. God sees us enabling our obedience. God moves to fulfill every command he makes of us. God moves to fulfill every command he makes of us. This idea of sight, of seeing, is more than just visually taking it. It's not saying God just up in heaven and he's just watching and, oh, that guy's doing that, that's interesting. And, and like, like you're watching a video or something unfold before you. There's far more to it. It's this knowing intimately, relating to what's going on. 
There's a picture of this in Exodus with the very audience that is hearing Genesis. This is pictured for them in Exodus 2.25. It says, God saw the sons of Israel as they're in captivity in Egypt. God sees the sons of Israel and he took notice of them. And right after this, he brings about Moses. He acts on their behalf. He does so with Hagar in the desert. He sees her and he provides as well for her and Ishmael. I would suggest this idea, sort of like when you tell your child, look after, you got your older child, look after your sibling. Keep an eye on them. And if you leave the bedroom and you've told them to keep an eye on them, and all of a sudden you hear this big loud bang, and you come in there and your child is on the floor crumpled up and crying in pieces, and your older child's like, I watched them. I kept my eye on them. I mean, they climbed up there. Bounced up there, did a lovely pirouette over here, smashed this, and there they are. I have not taken my eyes off of them. I did exactly what you said. You'd be flabbergasted. That's not what I meant. There's far more to this idea of keeping your eye on. Look after. It's this idea of, of caring for them, being involved in life, being willing to step in as needs are there. That is the God who sees. And God gives this narrative as a picture to prove to us that he sees us in our needs. Hebrews eleven nineteen. we already read that. It talks about at the end that Isaac is a type. A type. He, he's a picture of something or someone to come after him. And I would suggest that picture, that type, is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Both are sacrificed in the same place. See, Mount Moriah is Jerusalem, is this mountain area of Jerusalem. Second Chronicles 3.1 talks about that, how the temple is actually built on this mountain area, this flat part of it. And Christ raised up on this hill of that mountain, on Golgotha, on Calvary, is thought to be at the peak of this mountain. Both are sacrificed in the same place. Both carry wood up to the place of their sacrificial execution. Here Isaac has the wood placed on him by Abraham. John 19, 17 says, he took, They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. Both bear the very wood that is going to be used for their execution. Both are silent and willing sacrifices. You notice here, when they came to that place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood, there is silence. Isaac does not say a word. You don't get this picture, Abraham sitting here having to chase his son down, capture him, sort of tie him up, lasso him, whatever. Isaac sits here and is willingly bound, willingly placed on this altar, choosing to trust his father and rely on his father. Isaiah 53, 7 says, He, Christ, was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before his shears. So he did not open his mouth. Both are only sons. You know, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and 
only son. When Abraham believed God could restore Isaac, even bring him back from the dead, resurrect him to fulfill his promises. And Christ's resurrection is used to fulfill the promises God has given to us. 1 Peter 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Your living hope, the promise that God has given you, is because of the resurrection of Christ. And yet, while there are many similarities, there's one big difference. Christ died. The son in the garden pleads, Let this cup pass from me, Father. Father, see this. Please remove it. Let it pass three times. Father, take this cup from me. And yet Christ is crucified. He is placed as a sacrifice. The Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world is placed upon the altar. See, the ram here is a type too. The one who fills in for Isaac. Christ, hanging on the cross, this one, Isaac has been seen, but the one who hangs on the cross says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You you see, Isaac, who God saw, you who God sees, are able to be seen because God turned away from another. God forsook his son. The God who sees would not look upon the Son who bore our sin that he might see us. The Son who is forsaken makes it so that we would never be forsaken, that God would never leave us nor forsake us. The Father who does not provide a way out who does not see to a way out for his son, provides a way for us to be saved through the son. Through this gift of the ultimate sacrifice, God proves his love. John 3, 16, again, this verse that is so similar yet so profound. God so loved that he gave. His love proved in the gift of the one and only son. Looking away that you and I might be seen. This is our confidence to persevere in obedience. The uh, hope that while we lack perfect and, and complete obedience, Christ does not. He fulfills what is lacking for us. What we could not do, God does. Where I cannot do the sacrifice necessary to fulfill the obedience that God commands of me, Christ does. He saw us in our helpless state and made a way. While you were dead in your trespasses and sins, God made you alive together with him, with Christ. Paul builds on this. In Romans 8, 28, he says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All things. The areas of obedience that God has placed in front of you. The hardest things in your life. The things that you're saying, I'm not sure if I can get through this. According to this, God's continual call for further obedience in different areas of your life is for your good. And God places them there. 
These hard things God sovereignly places there and he uses them for your good. And even when it's hard and you don't understand and you don't see the purpose or a way out, God says it is good. But how do you know this? Where's the proof? Paul, just a few verses later, explains in Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? The one who was willing to kill his son for you, how much more would he not give you everything? God has given us everything we need all that we need to do to fulfill the obedience he calls of us. Christ's death proves this. The God who sees, who sees Abraham at his hardest time and fills what is necessary for Abraham's obedience to be completed is the God who sees you and fills and walks with you through these hard times of him calling you to do things. His son proved this for you. God sees you. God cares. He cares so much that he sent another whom he did not see. There was a lamb sacrificed in your place, the lamb of God. Have you placed your faith in him? This is the first act of obedience God calls each of us to. You cannot fulfill God's standard for obedience. You will not obey in a way that is necessary outside of him. And so I would encourage you, call you today to act in obedience. If you hear his voice today, respond. Recognize your inability to come to God. You needed a sacrifice. You deserve to be on that cross, to be on that altar. And God provided a way for another to bear that for you. God saw to it that there was another made available for you. If you've never come to him... Today is the day you might come to him. Receive of the lamb who was slain in your place. Accept him. For those who have, by God's grace, taken this first step of obedience, how are you doing it continuing? Uh, living out your obedience. Are you trusting in God's promises even when they don't make sense? Or are you just giving up? Are you trusting God to see the big picture even when all you can see is the trial, the hardship, the pain and suffering? Or have you stopped? Are you sitting here demanding answers of God that he doesn't intend for you to see until after you've endured through it? Do you value God more than his gifts? Are you clinging to the things or maybe one specific thing like, oh, I just, I just want this. God, I'll, you got the rest of my life. I just want this one thing. Are you clinging to things that he's given you and in doing so demonstrating that you love that above him? Are there things he's calling you to give up and you're struggling to determine, is he worth it? The God who sees has very intentionally allowed every little circumstance, situation, and trial in your life that he might walk with you through them. That he might ultimately help you through them with the end goal that you see him. 
God desires that you, like Abraham, see that he is the one who carries you. He is the one who walks with you. He is the one who makes a way. Will you look to him, trusting him to see you? Will you look to Christ as the ultimate proof that whatever God may ask of you, it is for your good? Will you have faith in the God who sees? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you have made a way when there was no other way. That you saw to our need. We could not come to you. We would not come to you. Our hearts were your enemies. And yet you brought us to you. We who deserved to be on the altar had a way made for us. And you continually walk with us through the hardest of times, making a way grow our faith, expand our faith, that we would look to you, that our thoughts, our thinking, our mind would be stayed on the truth, that you are the God who sees, the God who walks with us, the God who provides, and that we would continue by faith, walking, plotting in obedience, trusting you for the outcome. We thank you for Jesus, and we pray this all because of him.